everybody, and welcome back to another exciting edition of the Comic Obsessive. I'm Jason Dehart. I'm Adam Piles. And this is episode nine. I believe this is nine, right? Episode nine? I, believe I think so. so. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. We, we were just kids with a dream when we started this, and now here we are. I'll probably say that every episode from now on. <laughs> well, you know, our fan base is growing, so we have to recognize the fan base. I mean, I think... Absolutely. What, what was it last time we checked? Like in the millions? Millions. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah I, I just keep getting letters from people uh, requesting autographs and, and all of that sort of stuff. It's just, uh, it's really, it's been life-changing. Is Kevin Feige bugging you too? A little bit. A yeah. little bit. I'm like, yeah, I would do a cameo, but, mm -hmm. you know, I got a lot of other things going on. Yeah, and like when Chris Evans the other day uh, got, what is, what is it, Sexiest Man Alive or something? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he texted me. He's like, bro, did you see? And I was like, yeah, man, I saw. You know, it's, yeah. You know, congratulations. You know how he is. He kind of needs that congratulations coming from us you know right of, right yeah it's it's good though it's good it's good to be in the comics community and still not sure what he was doing with his hands behind his back in the cover photo yeah. but uh yeah it's kind of yeah. kind of a thing so usually we we tackle an issue usually we tackle not like an issue like you know politics but an issue of comics, because this is the comic obsessive for the politics obsessive. I'm sure you can check out various social media and all that sort of stuff. But usually we tackle an issue of a comic on this very special episode. And I'm just going to keep calling it very special because they're all very special to me. We're actually talking about more than just one. We're talking about an entire, dare I say, saga. A saga. Oh. Oh, it's a saga. It is the Dark Phoenix saga. It's one of my uh, uh, most favorite uh, storylines of all time in any in any medium. It's definitely yeah. Um, how did you how, how did you read it? Did you read it through Comicsology or how did you? Read I it? did. I did. Comicsology yeah. should really be paying me at this point, but I read the 30th anniversary edition of the saga uh, it's got that nice cover with cyclops scott summers holding gene gray in his hands being the the phoenix character and the x-men sort of standing around uh bewept and bewildered with everything that's happening and then there at the bottom uh i see two names that very very popular names among comics folks mm -hmm. claremont and burn yep Chris Claremont <clears throat> and John Byrne. <clears throat> oh, and I will say this. I apologize to the millions listening. Yes. Yeah. Um, I have been struggling with a, <clears throat> a, a chronic cough for the last month. I don't have COVID or flu or anything. It's just something hanging in there. So I apologize for having to cough and clear my throat. <clears> throat> I was going to say, you're not getting choked up. You're, you're actually yeah, just yeah. under the weather, as Storm would say. Yeah. <laughs> so Chris Claremont and John Byrne, legendary creators. Mm -hmm. um, I am proud to say that I got to meet Chris Claremont and I got his autograph at Heroes Con. Um, and he was a very pleasant individual to talk to. But he is mainly known for his X-Men run because he <clears throat> he is not the one that reinvented the team. But he 
I would say kind of launched them into the, the stratosphere with popularity uh, with his writing. And he did it through the late 70s, all the way through the 80s and into the early 90s, um, even into the um, the adjectiveless X-Men series with Jim Lee. I think he did the first mm-hmm. three issues of that. Yeah. Um, have you read much of Chris Claremont's stuff? What's your take on Chris Claremont? What's your hot take on Chris Claremont? My, my hot take, I like him. I like him. I did not pay attention to the names that were in comics um, really as much when I was reading X-Men. But um, because I was a young, I was a young person at that time. We're talking about the '80s, and Claremont had that run, right? He was like 1975 through 1991, yeah, or something like that. I mean, just basically a career kind of book. Yeah. And I want to say the first time that I saw his name on something, it might have been like a novel that he had worked on. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. And, it, you know, really paid attention to his name and then got to kind of travel back and see, oh, this is this is the person that's been scripting the X-Men and doing this stuff that I've known for some time. So I, I like the epic nature of what he brought as far as storylines. You know, I, thinking about contemporary storylines, I still try to follow some of the X titles as much as I can, even though they've kind of separated out. And I just don't know a storyline that's that stood the test of time and been quite the the tent pole the uh gathering water cooler i don't know what metaphor i'm going for here <laughs> quite the impact that you know dark phoenix had but then also we had days of future past and i had forgotten how close those two storylines really were and then even like the work he did on uh those very early 90s x-men comics still stands up and yeah still is one of those pieces that just coming back yeah and i think we've we've talked about john byrne didn't we in relation oh fantastic four that's what Mm -hmm. it was Mm -hmm. we did the issue of fantastic four and we talked about how he helped shape the x-men with chris claremont and then went to fantastic four and then she hulk and then rebooted superman for dc Mm-hmm. Uh, it's mm-hmm. a mariner. Um, so he's a legend in his own right. I've never, uh, I haven't met him and I don't think I'll ever get to because he, I don't think he does conventions anymore. Yeah. Um, I read something that said, you know, it was kind of a quote from him saying it used to take a day to recover and then a few days to recover and then a week to recover from the, the convention circuit. And so I think he just kind of phased himself out of it, which, you know, I mean, I understand he's, he's probably been doing it a very long time. So, Oh yeah. 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 And as nice as I'm sure it is to meet fans, I've seen, you know, social media posts from comics creators where they're like, they have gatherings that are kind of like restorative after those things. Because I think even some of the conventions, not heroes con necessarily, but some of them start early, close out late, you know, I mean, they'll be there into the evening hours signing and uh, you and I have witnessed firsthand uh, we've seen the Claremont line at Heroes Con and just the amazing kindness of these creators and sitting and signing what must be their entire run multiple times throughout the day and throughout the weekend. 
you know. And you got to meet him too, right? You you stood in that line for Claremont, didn't you? I did. I did. Yeah, That's I got right. to meet him. I was one of the the last people to walk through. Um, didn't quite have the conversation with him that I think you did, but uh, yeah, it was it was a good experience, nevertheless. Yeah. Good experience. I remember the year I did meet him because I didn't meet him this past year with you. Um, since I had already met him, and that line was really long. Um, yeah, I, yeah. yeah. I concentrated my efforts elsewhere, but I remember um, <laughs> I went to the like little gym of the hotel uh, that weekend before the convention started, and I'm with my friend Russ, and we're like walking through, and I just got starstruck because I was like, "Oh my gosh, do you know who that is?" You know, on the I think it was a bike. You know who that is on the bike? And it was Chris Claremont just like, you know, exercising. And that was just yeah. such a such a cool little thing to see him um, in that capacity. You know, not sitting beside or behind a table with a line in front of him. Just And, that, of course, I didn't bug him. I didn't want to bug him. I didn't want to walk up and say, I love you. Um, right, right. You know, <laughs> well, I wanted to, but I knew that that would be poor form. So uh, right, I just right. I let him do his thing. And so it was it was cool to see him. Um, and I do wish I could meet John Byrne. But like like we said, I don't think that's happening. But um, yeah. I keep checking the the website for Heroes Con. Yeah, I'm queuing up for the next one. Yeah. Do they have anybody yet? Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Um, it depends. Like some years they'll start early. Like one year they started. I swear it was like August. They started posting people, just a few, just a few, I guess, that, that had been there and then agreed to come back. Um, but usually around January, February, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they start posting creators. Um, so if anybody's listening and you would want to go to Heroes Con, you can start checking that website and, um, you know, start making a list of who you'd like to see starting in January, February. And you can check out the very special Heroes Con episode. They're all very special to me, uh, yes. the Comic Obsessive, because right after we went to Heroes Con this past summer, we we did a little talk about it. A little talk. Right. Yeah. We were we were still on that Heroes Con high, you know. We were we were as giddy as schoolboys. Yes, after, absolutely. Uh, and I don't get giddy often. I don't either. You know, yeah. I I hold the giddiness back. I do. <clears throat> I like to store it up. But you know what? I got giddy for Walter Simonson. That yeah. was that was excellent. The kindness of it. And you can also yeah. I'm doing all these plugs now. We should link it back. Uh you could check out that episode for the story because it was it was a cool Walt Simonson story. It was very nice. He's he a very kind soul. Yeah, he just he really is. Um but let's talk about Dark Phoenix saga. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm I'm gonna do a quick summary. Um of the Dark Phoenix saga because it is six issues long. And so um, I'm looking at it through an old uh, trade paperback. And so it collects uh, issues 129 through 137, which I think is officially the Dark Phoenix saga, even though it kind of finds its roots in the early 100s of the mm-hmm. X-Men. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but what happens in, in the Dark Phoenix saga? is that the X-Men are on their way home and Jean Grey starts having these, uh, she calls them time slips, where it's almost like she is in a different era and she's living almost like through a, uh, a former, you know, relative's uh, experiences. 
and she's finding this guy who is like pursuing her and he's very attractive and she gets brought back to reality by Cyclops. Um, and so there's already some weirdness happening. Yeah. But the X-Men arrive home and Charles Xavier is back home after not being home for a very long time. Um, and this is when things really start to pick up because basically, um, Let's see, who is it? Cyclops, Storm, Professor X. Did I say Cyclops? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, I think Colossus. Uh, Colossus is in there, yeah. Oh, here, I'm looking at it now. It's Wolverine, Colossus, Storm, and Professor X all go to investigate this new mutant, Kitty Pride. Um, while they're investigating Kitty Pride to like invite her to the school, uh, they get attacked. By the Hellfire Club, and the other X Men have to rescue them. And Jean Grey is kind of getting uh, corrupted by a member of this Hellfire Club. And you see that this guy is the guy from the time slips. And so, um, Jean Grey, Nightcrawler, Cyclops have to rescue the X Men, um, and they bust them out of the the hellfire club they discovered dazzler in the uh nightclub mm -hmm. when they're tracking them down the so, dazzler debut yeah yeah her first appearance and so um the x-men rescue the rest of the x-men held captive and jean gray starts showing just extraordinary extraordinary power she already has extraordinary powers but the the, the depths of her power is just off the chart. Um, and so they, the X-Men all kind of come together. They get away from the Hellfire Club and they go to see the angel uh, to kind of lay low for a little while. And then <clears throat> there's another confrontation between the X-Men and the Hellfire Club and we'll talk about this in a moment because this is where Wolverine becomes Wolverine. They yeah. best basically crash the Hellfire Club party. And this is when uh, Jean Grey truly starts to be corrupted on a, on a very deep level. Um, and so the X-Men, I believe, get out of this skirmish as well with the Hellfire Club. But at the end of it, um, the end of the interaction with the Hellfire Club, she finds this guy that has been messing with her mm -hmm. and finds out that it's the old X-Men villain mastermind. And she leaves him basically a vegetable. And they're escaping, and that's when her power really comes out. In the beginnings of page 135, <clears throat> um, you see Dark Phoenix on that spot, splash page. Yeah, and it's kind of like the new or the next enemy is revealed, and it's Jean Grey with this power. And so she flies into space, basically annihilates an entire galaxy. And the X Men are trying to figure out how to stop her. And they try to stop her when she comes back to Earth. Doesn't really work very well. Uh, and then it's a battle of wills, a battle of power between Charles Xavier and Jean Grey. And um, it seems like things are okay. It seems like Xavier has beaten back this 
dark phoenix and left Jean Grey. But because she had killed um, so many millions out in space, is it the Shi'ar that brings mm-hmm. her? They, they kidn- kidnap all of the X-Men and because she has to pay for this crime. And so that leaves Charles Xavier to issue this challenge and the X-Men fight for Jean Grey. But the sad thing is they're, they're fighting the, uh, the guardsmen of the Shi'ar Empire. And the sad part is at the end, um, when Jean Grey feels herself slipping, she understands that, you know, um, <clears throat> this won't end. And so she steps into basically a, a booby trap uh, on the moon, uh, kind of taking her own life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that leaves, uh, that's how the Dark Phoenix saga ends. That was probably very rambling. Was did that make any kind of sense at all, or was it? Oh just... yeah, those those are the the major pieces in so many epic moments. I mean, it's hard to to leave any of it out because just paging through this. I mean, I know one of I think it's one of your favorite issues is part of this, um, the the one with Wolverine, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the introduction of Dazzler. Mm-hmm. I mean, as you were talking about it, I was thinking about our conversation about Claremont and Byrne and how. You know, you're meeting these people and really they're like the creators and co-creators of these characters that you and I both grew up with. I mean, you got um, the White Queen there, you got Dazzler, you've got uh, Kitty Pride, and just how all of these things fold together. And I was trying to remember how I got introduced to X-Men and how I got introduced to Dark Phoenix because I didn't read it in 1980. You know, when it came out, I was born yeah. in 1982, so that yeah. would have been a Phoenix it would have Saga. It, w- it would have. Uh, I mean, I started reading at a young age, but let's be yeah. real here. Um, <laughs> and so I was thinking, I remember I read a Claremont X-Men, and it would have been from like the Storm Mohawk days. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. And then I want to say that my understanding of... Uh, the Dark Phoenix, you know, kind of came together from reprints, from uh, video games even. I remember the Lilandra from the Shi'ar Empire was one of the characters in a video game that I played in the early 90s. We had the animated series. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is just classic and well done and stands up. And then we've got all of the action figures. I mean, if there was a character that was potentially moldable that character would be at the local toy store and so that's also one of those ways that i got to know these storylines and characters and then go back and kind of build so when i was reading this again this time i mean you've got the epic art but just just you know good writers are good writers yeah whether it's a comic or a tv show or a novel or whatever it happens to be and i just love how those parts dropped in because it's it's not easy to take a character like Jean Grey who's good and start to bring out some of those conflicts and some of those ideas and um, some of that darkness and you kind of see like the foreshadowing and the threads yeah you know as you look yeah. back through those the start of the saga with Mastermind and her becoming the Black Queen and things like that so I was just 
really impressed this time around looking back at it all condensed with the storytelling and the way that you know you kind of had the breadcrumbs of knowing um that things were not going right with Jean Grey. Yeah, I was, uh, you know, before we start, <coughs> before we hit record, I was like, oh, I'll take the, I'll take the summary for this because you know I've read it so many times. But as I was flipping back through trying to talk through it, I was like, good, good gosh, there's so many different little points to bring up and say. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I probably could have just summed it up by Jean Grey was corrupted, and uh, sure. Sure. Yeah, and the X Men fight for her, but she ends up committing suicide. Um, that was probably been a much better way to say it all, but um, it, it is dense storytelling. But um, and you know those Chris Claremont pages, there's so much dialogue on right. them. When you look at um, when you look at the final pages of of the Dark Phoenix saga, the final page itself with the watcher you know? <laughs> oh yeah yeah that is a, a wordy page <laughs> it's so wordy uh but you know the funny thing is i don't even remember it being wordy as a kid i just remember being so enthralled by it just so sucked into this whole story and the you know the little journey that these characters went on um i kind of came to the x-men and then i didn't like it because i i went uh, I found an issue of classic X-Men given to me by a cousin where they're in the Savage Land. And oh, it, yeah. mm -hmm. it was weird to me. I was like, I'm not sure what's going on here. And I left it alone until um, a grandparent gave me X-Men number one, not the 63, but the 91 X-Men number one. And I just loved it. It just clicked. And I loved it. And the cartoon came out. And then I went to the comic store. Um, and they had the Dark Phoenix saga as a trade paperback. Yeah. And so I was able to read it all. And like I say, you know, I was just blown away by it. I thought the characters were so interesting and, and well-crafted and, and fleshed out. Um, and then, you know, like we said, Wolverine kind of comes into his, his own. Um, so I think Colossus was supposed to be the big uh, breakout star of the X-Men mm -hmm. because a lot of times it is the, the strong man, like uh, the thing in the fantastic four. Right. Uh, and so they thought it was going to be Colossus. And I think Chris Claremont wanted it to be Colossus. But my understanding is that, you know, John Byrne was, um, I don't think he was born in Canada, but he lived a lot of his life in Canada. So he was a big fan of, Logan and Wolverine. And so um, I think he kind of cast a spotlight on him in that there's that segment. I got to talk about the segment where, yes. uh, you know, Wolverine is like breaking into the Hellfire Club, trying to rescue the X-Men. And one of the Hellfire Club mutants has the power to increase density. And so Wolverine basically sinks through the floor and they think he's dead. But then by the end of that issue, the last page of that issue, you see the, the sewer, you see the water rushing and you see his hand come up and grip the pipe mm. and it stands up and it's that classic down angle shot of Wolverine 
saying, you know, okay, suckers, you've taken your best shot. Now it's my turn. And, you know, I might be wrong, but I feel like that's the panel. That's the right, panel right. where Wolverine went to become, went on to become like a mega star of the you know, Marvel universe. And fascinating backstory there too. I mean, talking about like, we talked about this with the thing a little bit too, and that like human side of it, but Wolverine's whole story of trying to reconcile the past and, you know, piece together who he is. And uh, he's not just that, that surface character. There's a lot of, we talked about humanity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A lot of humanity that's built in there too. It's, yeah. And I mean, breaking it down there, it's like every issue is really its own mini episode of this. This truly, like, it's a saga. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know, have you read any of the uh, Claremont Byrne X-Men leading up to the Dark Phoenix saga? It has been a minute. I've read yeah. some of them. Yeah. What? And then, uh, like, the next storyline after. Yeah. Yeah, so I think the Dark Phoenix saga is almost the end of their run. There's a, there's this, a couple of issues, um, the Days of Future Past, mm -hmm. and then it seems like one more issue, and then that's it for them as a team. Um, yeah. Yeah, but those Burn Claremont, X-Men issues leading up to it, once I you know, discovered the Dark Phoenix saga, fell in love with that. And I went back and I was able to read them through classic X-Men reprints. Yeah. Because uh, the originals are, you know, pricey. Right. Uh, yeah. For me as a kid, they, they were just, that wasn't going to happen. Um, but looking back at those issues, man, I, I think there's a reason why those issues are regarded as just some of the best comic storytelling. You know, you have, uh, the appearance uh, might be the first appearance of Arcade, where they put them in. Arcade puts uh, the X Men in basically a gigantic. Uh, well, I don't want to say arcade, but it's like a, a pinball machine. Yeah, it's like a pinball yeah. machine, and they have to escape that. And, Very classic story. Yeah, yeah. And there's a part where um, Wolverine they're leaving Japan because. Uh, there's an adventure in Japan and uh, they're leaving Japan and Wolverine starts speaking Japanese to this uh, young woman, young Japanese woman. Mm -hmm. And when I saw that, it just like blew my mind because it was like, uh, you know, this whole new facet to this tough guy character. And he gives her like this flower, you know, and it was yeah. such like a, a tender moment um, from this, you know, supposed, tough guy that doesn't take any guff from anybody and but you know that's that's what these creators were were good at doing is pulling out the humanity from these characters and, and making you care about them and the whole i mean that in itself leads to the the thread for wolverine and i don't remember off the top of my head you know issue numbers or anything but the the japanese arc with him and how some of that comes to be um which again, there's kind of a glimpse. Yeah, it's uh, they they plant so many little seeds all throughout, and um, I mean, I could speak about all of these characters individually. Like I, I love Colossus. Um, oh, and by the way, if 
<coughs> anyone gets a chance to who's listening to read the classic X-Men um, versions of these Burn Claremont stories. The good thing about those is that for one thing, they'll include just like another page or two of story to kind of uh, beef up the story just a little bit, not because it was missing something, but because, um, you know, these stories came out in the late seventies when comics were shorter. And so when they reprinted them, they need, they needed a little extra story. So there's a couple of extra pages of story here and there, but also the backup uh, stories in the classic X-Men. I don't know if you have any classic X-Men issues, but like there is a, there's an issue where Colossus is maybe in France for some reason. I'm, I'm not sure uh, where he is. Maybe Russia. Maybe he went home to Russia. Um, but it shows him being an artist. It shows him falling in love with this woman. And then he ends up having to save the woman because of like organized crime. And he, of course, reveals himself to be a mutant uh, by doing that. And she is horrified. You know, it's a it's a classic uh, story. You know, he he reveals who he really is and and she's horrified by it. And so he loses her. But those um, those classic X-Men had a lot of those backup stories like that that kind of fleshed out the characters mm-hmm. and really gave you insight into who they were as people. There was um, they even did one with Arcade where um, and that was a pretty messed up little story, if I remember right, where it's like um, kind of shining a spotlight on his childhood. Yeah. And how bad it was and how abusive it was. Um, and then how he got revenge on his parents, you know, and then he became arcade. Um, so that, you know, there's a story about arcade Colossus. They, they each have, have their moments in those classic X-Men backup stories. Um, there was a weird one with storm where she's having these nightmares about zombies and it was a very strange story, but very, uh, captivating. Very cool. Yeah. yeah. So I, I don't know if you've ever read any of those classic X-Men backup stories, but it's good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I mean, that's another strength of the, the X-Men. I feel like all around is you've got that outsider angle, you know, uh, like very relatable characters, I think for that reason, because like you talking about the Colossus kind of someone being horrified with, uh him being a mutant like that plays into that that outsider status in the way that if you're someone that ever has any trouble fitting in in any situation which is all of us let's face it the millions of you that are out there listening like the that's kind of where we get to see ourselves in the x-men because one of my favorite characters is nightcrawler yeah Uh, and just a very cool character um and you get the sense that there are these tragedies and these rejections. And with a character like Arcade, I mean, you've got like that classic villain line. But even the heroes in the X-Men like have those moments where they don't quite fit or things don't quite work for them. I was teaching, uh, when, when we're not podcasting, we also both uh, teach. And I was teaching the book Night by Ellie Vicell. 
and you know the that holocaust narrative and i told my students it's like now this makes me think of a major x-men villain and they were like magneto (laughs) because yeah there's that whole like oppressed oppressor kind of thing that happens um so lots of depth lots of depth in these characters and lots of relatability yeah and i love you mentioned nightcrawler i love how he is you know for all appearances he he's a demon right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but he's also the most like religious of the x-men characters and i love that little setup that they do there i thought it was you know I thought it was a cool and, and classic idea for him. Very happy. Yeah. Um, and then, like, Nightcrawler and, and Wolverine's friendship. I always found that one to be uh, a gratifying friend, friendship to read about. I always thought that was awesome. Um, so they end up killing Jean Grey, right? The, the creative <laughs> team ends up killing her. But... So apparently that was not the original idea. The original idea was that, that she would get depowered. And, um, you know, when they were kicking around ideas for the story, she would get depowered. And in one version of the story, she was going to be held captive. But Chris Claremont did not like that idea. He was like, the X-Men would never stop trying to rescue her. Mm-hmm. Um and then in one version of the story, she was going to be depowered and like just kind of sent home with the X-Men. But Jim Shooter, the editor in chief at the time said, absolutely not. She has to, she has to pay for what she's done. Right. Uh, with the, the killing of the, the millions of innocent people. And my understanding is that Chris Claremont kind of bluffed him and said, well, fine, then we'll just, we'll kill her. And Jim Shooter took the bluff and said, okay. And so that's how they ended up having to kill Jean Grey. Uh, Yeah, I don't think it was the original uh, idea. Of course, she's back now. And like there was this storyline in the Fantastic Four where they found the real Jean Grey at the bottom of the ocean. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it was really the Dark Phoenix or the Phoenix uh, Entity that had kind of, you know, shaped itself to look like her and be like her. And that's the, that's the character that we saw die and, and read about and everything for the dark Phoenix saga. But, um, I don't know. I kind of wish they had left, left it alone and just, um, like, it's not that I wanted her to die, but it's one of those things where sometimes I just wish they would leave storylines alone right not revisiting them yeah yeah but you know these are comics and when they go on for decades and mm-hmm. decades what are you gonna do you know yeah it's so. uh, so like my friend sturge says talking about batman and the joker i mean there's always going to be batman and the joker you know there's always going to be that dynamic there's always going to be that thing that happens um where some version of them exists, even if characters die in these stories. Uh, I mean, perfect for a Phoenix to come back, right? Like, yeah. there's always a way for them to come back. Um, there's always a being, I mean, you mentioned the Watcher, and I, I thought that was funny that you talked about that page setup because I had the same impression when I looked at it again. I was like, oh my gosh, this, this is quite a wordy page. 
but it works. And, you know, you've got characters like the Watcher, these super-powered cosmic entities that can always intervene and kind of work things out in the story. Um, but then the story gets to continue, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Get- retold in a different way and uh, speaking of retelling you know the last time we talked i mentioned that the dark phoenix was not one of the more obscure storylines it's the one that's been revisited in film a couple of times too and that's part of why it was also nice to go back and look at the setup with the hellfire club kind of see the dynamics see the introduction of dazzler see the issue where wolverine comes into his own because I feel like a lot of my memory of those stories was so um, shaped by seeing the story play out on film twice. Yeah. You know, it's nice to go back and be like, oh, yeah, that, that was part of that storyline. And that's what they were doing there. And we've given a shout out to Chris Claremont and John Byrne, both of whom I'm sure are listening. But uh, I'll also mention, I believe it's Terry Austin that did some inking on these issues. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I got to know his work through some DC books initially, but then uh, getting to go back and recognize that he's the person that brought that life to this art in that way. Um, and then Tom Orzakowski. Yeah. I might not be saying that right. Uh, first time I saw his name and recognized it was when he was doing work for Spawn, which I think he might still do um, with Image Comics. But uh, both of those names being uh, creators that have worked on not only these books, but other books that I've enjoyed as well. Yeah, and he did uh, Tom. I'm not going to attempt his last name. You did a really good job with it. I tried. He was a letterer, yes. Mm -hmm. And as odd as it is to comment about letters on a page, it feels these stories so well because John Byrne and Terry Austin's art was so nice and neat mm-hmm. and precise and the lettering just went right in there with it. And yep. like I say, maybe a weird thing to comment on is lettering, but man, it just fits the page. It's also visual, you know, comics, such a visual medium, even down to the lettering and it, it just all, fits together and flows together so well just so well um when you look at like i'm looking at that dark phoenix splash page again like the words dark phoenix that are sort of you know embedded with that page and the way the lettering goes with it there um and even the like witness the birth of a god you know there are a lot of different things happening there with the lettering with the different narrative boxes so there's definitely that talent and that art um, to that part of all of that as well. Absolutely. It's classic storytelling. There's a reason why it's been adapted so many times. Um, I will say this, though, like, you know, Chris Claremont obviously went on to write X-Men for many, many more years after this. Mm-hmm. And when I revisit the Chris Claremont X-Men whether it's drawn by Paul Smith or John Romita Jr. You know, there was a definite different feel feel to it than than this story. And I think John Byrne had such a you know input on plot and storytelling besides just art. Um, 
and this is in no way, shape, or form throwing off on the 80s X-Men with, again, Paul Smith or John Romita Jr. Um, or even, oh, what's his name? He came back, Dave Cockrum. Dave Cockrum came back after John Byrne. Um, the, nothing, I do not want to throw off on those stories at all. But the X-Men turned into such a, you know, no pun intended, juggernaut of uh, <laughs> Marvel Comics. Right. They, they were like the hottest thing going, right? Yeah. But when I look back at those issues, I'm surprised of how soap opera-y they feel. The Dark Phoenix saga and, and the John Byrne X-Men with Claremont, they don't feel as as much like a soap opera. Mm. But the ones after really, really do to me. Um, did you get, have you ever read any of those after the dark Phoenix saga and the, the Paul Smith or whoever I had, I think that's, I started reading them somewhere and picked up issues as I could. And I guess the mid to late eighties. Um, so I, I've read kind of pieces of those storylines, uh, as you said, with like the dark Phoenix, I've not stuck with a storyline the way that I have with some of those classic ones like Days of Future Past, Dark yeah. Phoenix are the ones that come back in the 90s. But, you know, it makes me wonder, and this is just cause for speculation, but I wonder if they, they did these epic storylines and if it wasn't just like, how do we follow that? You know, because yeah. that's that's the writing challenge too when you come up with a storyline that people reference as much as the Dark Phoenix. Okay. Uh, what do you do next? You know? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, just, okay. So here's a question for you. Who's your favorite X-Men? Ooh, uh, the first name that popped in my head when you said that was Gambit. 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 I like Gambit. I really do. Um, I don't know exactly what it is about. Is it the Raging Cajun? Is that what they call him? Yeah. I always thought like his superpowers were really cool. Yeah. He had the staff, you know, he has that cool look to him. Um, and I mean, just the image of throwing those trading cards with kinetic energy. I always thought that was a kind of a cool look, too. And you, you got to have a cool look. That's just the first name that that pops in my head is Remy LeBeau. Gambit. I, you know, I, I agree. Like, uh, I love Gambit. When I read... That 91 X-Men number one. I didn't know who he was. Mm -hmm. um, <coughs> I had not read any issues leading up to it. Like the... Um, like the Uncanny uh, issues. I had not read any of those. So I didn't know who he was. But they mentioned the name. And I see just his visual. Just like you said. That long duster. He's so 90s, right? Oh, yeah. So 90s. That the long, hair. Yeah, the hair, the leather coat, uh, the accent, it was all over the top, but man, I loved every bit of it. Oh yeah. So so who's yours? Well, I mean Gambit, Have I biased you now? <laughs> I mean, Gambit's definitely up there. I, I was gonna say I couldn't it would be really hard to narrow it down between Gambit, um, Colossus, mm -hmm. and as trite. And cliche as it may be, I mean, I love Wolverine. I oh do. yeah, you know. Oh yeah. If if not Gambit, I would have definitely gone with Wolverine. Yeah. I mean, 
very cool character, as you mentioned earlier, somebody that could have been just a one-dimensional tough guy, but he has this amazing history as a character, really cool storyline, um, and just, yeah, I mean, he, he could take things apart if he wanted to, and does, spoiler alert, and Old Man Logan, but, you know, like, yeah. just just one of those characters that you can really find some interesting stories out there about. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And of course, you know, I guess two of those characters are so mysterious, right? Mm-hmm. Like Gambit's past was shrouded in mystery for many years. And of course, Wolverine, you didn't know how that was the unending question. How did Wolverine become Wolverine? You know, right? because um, he couldn't remember any of his past. And I guess it was origin, right? That was the first time they told it, like yeah. how, how he came to be. Wolverine and well, I mean, I guess the Marvel Comics presents the Weapon X tells how he got his animantium, mm-hmm. but then like anything before that, we didn't know until I think Origin, and then I think that told us all of that. But um, I love the X Men. I've loved the X Men since you know that Christmas when I got that X Men number one, and uh, the cartoon came out shortly after, and man good stuff good stuff. oh yeah oh yeah great to revisit and uh i can't believe this was 1980 i was looking back at the publications and the dates because in my mind you know it kind of all smashes together into the 90s run too and i was like 1980 wow this is it's been a minute since the dark phoenix saga was out there but still one that feels contemporary and uh still great storytelling yeah it really is well where are we headed next well uh next is my pick and i know that we've done a batman story before so we might have to give some more love to marvel next time around or something else but you know kevin conroy the iconic voice of batman on batman the animated series just passed away a few weeks ago and got to see the the outpouring of love for kevin conroy on social media and what really struck me was the number of artists that posted and you look at their art and in a lot of cases you can see the inspiration of some of that art style yeah and so i know it's getting to be the holiday season we just had uh november 24th we just had the the big thanksgiving and so we have other holidays coming up for folks who celebrate and so we're going to be looking at the batman adventures holiday special one of those pieces from my childhood that's out there and checking out the storyline there talking a little bit about batman the animated series kevin conroy doing a little bit of a tribute and an honor to him uh, but also just just a great television series, a great comic series, and we'll talk more next time about the way that DC kind of marketed with the comic series along with that television series. Yeah, I'm I'm having to uh, re- restrain myself here from jumping in and talking so much about the Batman animated series because it was just it was so good. It was just so oh yeah. Good. Like if uh, I'll say this and then I'll shout up about the, the cartoon. I always say that if someone, you know, and I'm not the first person to say this, so I don't want to take credit for this, but if someone wants to see uh, the truly classic Batman, mm-hmm. that cartoon, yeah, or even the comic that followed 
the cartoon, you know, the adaptations or the, yeah, the adventures, uh, the Batman adventures comic. It, yeah, that is to me, the classic Batman character. And so many great artists that we'll talk about next time. Oh my goodness. Um, Terry Austin did some inking on that. So I'm going to connect that with X-Men. Mike Paraback. We'll talk more about him next time. Uh, another legend that passed away way before he should have. Um, and, and just a really, it's a cool run. So we'll be talking about that on episode 10, the holiday edition. <laughs> the holiday edition. I like that. <laughs> I like that. All right. Well, I guess that's about it uh, for us today. So let's see if I can uh, you know, stop this recording right now. And I guess we can do our sign off. That's it. Tell everybody to stay obsessive. Stay obsessive. Yeah. Ooh, we timed it. Ooh, we got it. <laughs> it was good. All right. Thanks for listening. Bye.